I'm going to preach this morning from the Beatitudes, and particularly Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And when we get into the Beatitudes, uh, it can be frustrating. The Beatitudes can be frustrating if you take them out of context, because uh, they're, they're so overwhelming, and they're so not what our experience with life is. And so before we get into what Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 is, I think we need to go into some context. So let me lift us up to our Heavenly Father in prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, it is, uh, it is something to be called your child. It is an amazing gift that you would invite us into your family, that you would adopt us as your sons. Full rights of heirs. That we could come right before your throne of grace. That we could, that we could be in intimate relationship with you. And I pray that you give us your spirit this morning to understand. Give us your spirit to understand your call for our life, your power for us, the grace that you have, and the wisdom that you would impart. I pray that you give me your words in that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the context of the Beatitudes. Jesus has started his ministry. He's begun teaching and preaching. And his message that he's preaching is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that it's near, that it's, that it's come. And so he's starting to share this gospel, and it's in the context of that message that he gives the Beatitudes. So what does that mean, that the kingdom of heaven is here or is at hand? Right? The gospel message is, is a proclamation. It's a proclamation of a person and an event, that King Jesus has come to begin his rule, that he's breaking into history and that he's making all things new. That King Jesus is exercising the power and the authority of God to rescue and redeem repentant sinners. And to, and to make them new and to begin his reign now and eventually to make all things new. And so, and so the gospel is the person of Jesus who comes to us. And, it, and it's the event of the beginning of the kingdom. And so, and so Jesus is proclaiming this and he's saying, hey, something's going to be different now. And as he begins to teach this, he said, the kingdom of heaven is here. Something's going to be different now. And here's what it's going to be like. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so when we get to the Beatitudes, what we have are spirit-empowered qualities. They're spirit-empowered qualities of those that have been rescued by God, who have have entrusted themselves to Jesus. See, uh, what, what happens when we see this list of the Beatitudes is that we can get, go two different directions with it. We can look at it, and we can, get, we can get frustrated. Because it's just idealistic. right? It, it's just idealistic. There's, there's no way that we can live up to all the things that Jesus says in our own strength. As we, as we read through, and the things that we're supposed to be blessed with, and the way that we're supposed to treat people, and the, and the way that we're supposed to be pure, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And if we come to this and we just say, man, Jesus has just given us this list of things that we go through in our own strength, we'll never measure up. We're never going to measure up to that. And so it gets to be frustrating. So Daryl Johnson wrote a a book on on the Beatitudes, and he he gave these two two things. He says, look, it's either going to be frustrating idealism or suffocating legalism. Right? So one way you say, well, forget it. We could never do it. That's just idealistic. I can't make it happen. The other way, and this is what 
a lot of believers fall into is the idea that we have to perform now. Now I have to perform for God, right? So he's given me this list of things, and I'm going to have to go, and I'm going to have to try really hard to be meek. And I have to try really hard to be pure of heart. And, and I'm going to have to try really hard to love my enemies. Well, okay, that may be true because it is hard to do. But we have to start at the beginning, which is this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That the king has come. That he's beginning to redeem all things. And that's us too. And that when we entrust ourselves to him, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And, he, and, and as we're promised again and again, he takes away our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us a heart that wants to follow him and we begin to change. And so as we read through these, understand, keep it in context. This is not Jesus saying, step it up. You better put in a lot of effort. He's saying, look, the kingdom of heaven is here and this is what's going to happen. This is how you're going to be blessed. This is how you're going to be in sync with the kingdom. You're going to recognize these things. These things are going to start happening. And as you pursue me, as you entrust yourself to me, this is what the Holy Spirit will produce in your life. So here we go from Matthew in chapter 5. Oh, apologies. I didn't know you were at ESV Church. I brought the NIV. I, I don't know. So the... The extra save version is the ESV. The nearly inspired version is the NIV or something. I don't know. So we, we go there. There's, there. there's a few different words that are in there. So whatever you're reading, just understand, I'm coming from the NIV. So if you have a different translation, great. Here we go. So he's preaching this. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People are gathering around him. And he begins to teach them about the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, context, this is how it starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. The word is using there for poor. There, there are a couple different words in the, to, to be used for poor. The, the word for poor is to kind of not, not have a lot of things, or, but you have some means. That's not the word he's using. He's using a word that means you have nothing. You're destitute. You're absolutely without anything to contribute. You can't help yourself. So the beginning of explaining the kingdom of heaven is blessed are those who know they have nothing to contribute. Poor in spirit. I have nothing to offer God. I have nothing to offer God on my own merit. And so instead of relying on myself, I'm going to rely on Jesus. And that's the beginning, and that's the context for our verse this morning. Because what happens is this. In Matthew 5, verse 9, it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. I know ESV people, it says the sons of God right there, right? ESV is correct. The Greek says sons. That's the actual word, huios, it's sons. And it's a beautiful thing to say sons there, as my wife likes to tell me. She does not want to be a daughter of God. She wants to be a son of God. And here's why. It's not that we're not both creating the image of God, but in this context and time, the son had rights. The son had inheritance rights. The son had the full inheritance rights. And so when there's this moment of saying, you're going to be called sons of God. That means you get everything the kingdom has to offer. You get everything. You get everything. Blessed are you when you know that you need Jesus, 
and you don't have to perform to get in. Because when you rely on him, you get everything. Good? Good. Because here's what happens. The Beatitudes start out, and they say, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about your own concept of yourself. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're talking about your experiences in this life. And that, and that God is going to make things right. He's going to renew them. But we're talking about ourselves. We're talking about our experiences. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We're talking about our attitude. That's pretty focused in. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now we're talking about our desire for the things of God and the kingdom of God. It's still us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Still our attitude but our attitude towards others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, that's our heart. And then something changes in what Jesus is saying. In our verse this morning, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Now we're being called into action. This is the first point in the sermon where Jesus is saying, you have a role. In the kingdom of heaven, you have a thing to do. You are not there just to experience the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I wish I was able to stay here longer because I look around and there are things to do here and to experience. I would love to ski and to hike if the snow would melt or to bicycle if there weren't rocks on the road or or, or whatever. It's gorgeous here, right? There are things to do here and it's, and it's a place that you want to experience, right? Now, I, I don't know, who here has been here a long time in this valley? A long time. So you've experienced a lot of the valley. Who has experienced everything in the valley? I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can. The kingdom of heaven has so much to experience. And if you're sitting here this morning and say, I've been in the kingdom of heaven for a long time. Jesus is inviting you into something more this morning. And if you're just breaking in, he's inviting you into more this morning. And if, by the way, you're not quite there yet, he's saying, come on. There's so much to experience. You have a role to play in the kingdom of heaven, and this is it. You need to be a peacemaker. Someone who shares peace. Now, what what does he even mean by that? Okay, I've I've got a job. I've got a role. We're keeping in mind the context, right? So it's not performance-based. But, but I'm a son of the Most High. I'm partnering with King Jesus in this, and he's got things for me to do. I'm an ambassador. I get to do stuff. So what does that mean to be a peacemaker? Now, Jesus was not speaking Greek when he spoke this. So I think it's reasonable to assume that we can say he's going to be talking about shalom. He's going to be talking about full peace. He's going to be talking about wholeness. He's going to talk about that restorative condition when people are one with God in tranquility and righteousness, full peace. And you and I get invited into that. We're invited in. To be a peacemaker, literally in this case, a peace doer, it's the only place in the New Testament that is combined this way. The only usage of this word. So there's not a lot of context where you can go, okay, well, I understand what what that word means. Thankfully for us, Jesus kept talking. 
and they wrote it down. So it gives us examples of what does it mean to be a peace doer, one who creates peace, one who extends shalom, one who is different. And so he starts out after his Beatitudes, and he says, okay, you're going to taste different. You're going to be salty. You're going to be light. The way that you act now in the, in the world is going to be different than the way the rest of the world acts. And so what, what you're going to do as people in the kingdom, extending peace looks different. And then in verse 16, that when you do this, the others will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, how do we make peace? Well, one way we make peace in the world is by wrecking their expectations. We wreck the expectations of the world. The way that we're supposed to respond and react as sinful people, as selfish people, as people with our own self-interest first, is not the way that Jesus begins to unfold the way that we act. And so, Jesus invites you to be different and there's some warnings involved with that. He says, look, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be different. You're going to be persecuted. But, but be different because here's what's going to happen. You're going to start spreading my peace. You're going to be a peacemaker. Glorify your Father in heaven. So, how do we do that? The first way we do that is with our brothers and sisters. And that means look around the room. That starts with the family of God. It might mean actual brothers and sisters, by the way. I've got two brothers and one sister. There's a lot of peace that we've had to make over the years among us. But most of the conflict in the Christian life comes from a couple places. It comes from persecution, and it comes from division from within. Do you know that? That's it. Well, I guess we get ourselves trapped in our sins sometimes, right? But... But the first place he goes with this is he says, look, when you're, when you're being different, when you're being salty, when you're being light, when you're living in a way that other people look at you, they see your good deeds, and they glorify your Father in heaven, the first way you're going to do that is the way that you treat each other. And so, if you have a difference of opinion, if you have someone that has sinned against you, if you've offended someone, he says, when you're at the altar... And you're standing at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there and go to your brother and make it right. That's different. By the way, it doesn't say that you're still going to agree or, or not disagree. I was teaching a marriage class last night and we're, and we're having these conversations. We're trying to talk about actually listening to each other within the marriage, which is something that's most basic and something most seldomly done. And, and, and we're listening to each other and we're listening for emotions, right? Now, as, as a guy, often I might just discount those right away, right? Because we're talking about subjects. We're talking about things and pieces and, and actions. But the person is what's important. Particularly in a marriage, the person is what's important. And so you got to know that even if you disagree with something, you need to know how that person responds and reacts and feels. And so we listen for that. And here's what happens. When you understand how what you do or what you do as a couple 
makes someone feel, and they know you hear them, and you value them, you may not fix the problem, but you've helped heal the relationship. That's what Jesus is saying. He wasn't teaching a marriage class. He's teaching a church class. He's teaching a church class. And he's saying, look, if you have a brother or a sister and you know that there's something wrong in the relationship, go make the relationship right. You can't make life right. Like the kingdom of heaven is here, but it's not here yet. It's kind of here. It started. It's inaugurated. Jesus is ruling. But we know everything's not right. We're going to have problems in this world. We'll have problems in the church. We'll have problems with other Christians. But the problem is the problem, not the person. And so we make it right. And so the first way that we become peacemakers is by the power of the Holy Spirit offering peace. Offering peace. And if you know that you've offended someone, you go to them. And you make it right personally. That's the first one. The second one is the dark place. He says, got to love your enemies. He doesn't go with strangers in that spot. He says, if you want to make peace, show love to your enemies. How do we do that? Let's go back to our context. Go back to the very beginning. Because that's exactly what God does with us. I'd like to flip over to Colossians chapter 1. Remind us of what Christ has done for us. So Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 19. He's talking about Christ as the supreme over all of creation. And here's what he says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Once again, the work of the peacemaker does not start with our effort. It starts with our God. And when you put your focus on God and what he has done for us and our Savior and what he has done for us, it makes it far easier to go to someone in your life who has treated you wrongly and offer them the same peace. Because we have the eternal perspective, the kingdom perspective, the upside-down perspective, the Beatitudes, impossible by ourselves. You treat me badly, I'll treat you badly. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, no, the kingdom of heaven is near. And I'm changing things. And I want you to be a peacemaker. And don't do the eye for an eye. Go love your enemy instead. Go love your enemy instead. And then you'll be like your father in heaven. Who sends rain on the just and the unjust. You're going to be like him. Does that make sense? All right, so what's the payoff? Like those are just some examples. What's the payoff? Right? Jesus says, you're blessed. How are you blessed? What's the payoff? Blessed are you, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children 
of God, the sons of God. Well, who calls us that? Like, what does that even mean? I get a nickname? All that hard work for peacemaking and my enemies and my relationships and whatever? What, is, what does that mean, children of God? Well, a couple of things. One, it means that other people will recognize that you have become to look like your Father in heaven. You've become to imitate him. Remember, they're going to see your good deeds and they'll praise your Father in heaven. So you'll be called children of God. You'll be called sons of God by other people. And they're going to recognize that and they're going to see the kingdom of heaven. And when they sing the, see the kingdom of heaven, that's another way that you're bringing peace. That you're offering peace. That you're making peace. Because your feet are the feet that bring the good news of the hope that we have in Christ. Your life, your testimony to the hope that you have in Christ is a doorway and an invitation to people who need that hope and who need our Jesus, who need the peace that he gives, the peace that he provided by his blood on the cross. Children of God. But that's, that's maybe not the most important one, and not for me. Because God will call us his children. It's a future calling. It's the one day calling. It's the when we're wrapped up here and we're in the kingdom of heaven in heaven. Or if Jesus wants to wrap things up first and come down here and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth full back. He's going to call us his children. He's going to claim us as his. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets scary. I mean, Jesus says some scary things all the time. But he gets scary in the Sermon on the Mount. And the end of it, he starts talking about people, false prophets, wolves among the sheep, who were casting out demons in his name, who were prophesying in the name of Jesus. And he says, I don't know you. He tells the crowd of people, look, it is narrow. This is a very narrow, narrow way to God. Broad is the path of destruction. But if you want to be called the children of God, recognize the children of God by God, you're going to look different and you're going to taste different and your relationships will be different. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like someone who built their house on a rock. We have to actually do it. We're peace doers. We're peacemakers. We are the ambassadors of peace in the kingdom. And that means we can no longer hold our grudges. We can no longer cling to our offense. We can no longer let our relationships be broken. As much as it's up to you, offer peace. You can't fix the world. But you can bring peace to a relationship as much as it's up to you. I realize it takes two people, at least two people. And God realizes that too. But he calls us into action And the one thing in the Beatitudes he calls us to do differently with regard to other people is to make peace. And then he says, you'll be mine. You'll be mine. Remember our context. Don't get it confused. I'm not saying you have to earn your salvation. I'm not saying you have to earn your salvation. But if you've placed your trust in God, If the Holy Spirit has brought to life in you a new heart 
and a desire for him, then one of the ways that's going to manifest itself is in love for other people and peacemaking. And man, we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit for that. I can't muster it up. I can't try really hard to forgive somebody. I need to ask God to change my heart. You know, I was called to be a pastor when I was in my teens, 18, 19. But you know what? I, I didn't want anything to do with the church. I didn't. I grew up in church. I saw how, how things, like people hurt each other. I got hurt. I hurt other people. I had a bad attitude. I figured out there was a God worth worshiping and serving, but I didn't want anything to do with the people that would follow him. I was broken. I'm still broken. But I knew my heart was wrong. And so I just started praying, God, would you change my heart? Would you change my heart? I don't want to love people. Would you change my heart? I need you to change me because I don't got it. And I can tell you, I went from a kid who didn't step into church, who would read his Bible and pray his prayers, but not talk with other believers. And seven years later, I'm walking down the hallway of a church. A pastor grabs my arm and turns me towards him. He says, you need to be in ministry. I said, but I've heard that before. I'll pray about it. I took some stock and I realized that I'd gone from not wanting to be in a church to singing in the choir, being a deacon at the church, volunteering in youth ministry. I'm there every time they open the doors. And I love people. And God did his work, and it was slow work, because he had a lot of work to do on me. A lot. He still does. He had a lot of work to do on me. But God changed my heart, and he can change yours. And guess what? He can change the hearts of the hard people in your life. He can change their hearts, too. That's his work. So how do we do it? Well, I realized as I was preparing this sermon that one of the things we have to do is we have to actually be aware Right? To be a peacemaker, you have to be aware. You have to be aware of God's work in your own life, in your own heart, in this spirit. You have to be aware of his invitation for peace because you're not going to be a peacemaker if he hasn't already reconciled you to him. And if you don't realize the hardness of your heart, like I realize the hardness of my heart, ask him. Ask him like David. Search me. Know my thoughts. Like Test me. Look, look Look at me. Help me to understand and start softening my heart. It's not magic, people. It's the spiritual power of an almighty God at work in a person that he loves to transform. And so just ask him. Come to him in relationship and say, would you show me? Would you open my eyes to where I'm holding a grudge or where I've offended someone? Or would you help me? Because this person is just ridiculous and you're telling me that I'm supposed to love them. You love them. And ask God to move and Be aware of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Be aware of God's work in your heart. And then we have to be aware of God's call to us. This prompting, this is one of those things, right? We open the, we open the scriptures. You listen to some pastor tell you, hey, know all that hard stuff in your life? God's calling you to action. It's hard to listen to it now. I don't know. God knows too. And it's the power of his spirit at work within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work within us. That's what we rely on. 
that's what we beg for. And our Father is a good Father who knows how to give good gifts to His children. He will give us the Holy Spirit when we ask. So be aware of that. But then also notice what happened here. Jesus said, when you're at the altar and you're getting ready to give your gift, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go. Listen, that's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. We are going to live for God. We are going to pursue God in relationship. And you're going to get a nudge every once in a while. And you may have gotten a nudge already this morning. Sorry, not sorry. You may have gotten a nudge already this morning where God's saying, hey, that person, leave your gift at the altar. Offer him forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Just say, hey, you know what? We differ, but we're family. And submit to that leading and that prompting. Be a doer. Be a peace doer, a peacemaker, and go and and do it. You have to be aware of God's leading, his work in your life, of his leading. And then we have to be aware of the people around us. We can't bury our heads in the sand and be a, a believer that reads their Bible and prays their prayers and stays away. Right? Or we're ambassadors. We're the ones that go. We're the ones that initiative. It's never for the child of God, well, they need to apologize to me first. It's never that way. We're always the one. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, no, remember, you offended them. Then Jesus says, you go. He does not say, well, when they come to you, be nice about it. He says, go. 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 Upside down, yes. Hard, yes. But so good. So good. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's what he calls us to do for others. That's our, that's our role here. So can I remind you one more time? Jesus did it first. But there was a time that you and I held our fist to heaven in rebellion. There was a time that we were enemies of God. Where we said, thanks, but no thanks. I want to be in charge of me. God, I'll deal with you later. And God said, I'll deal with this now. And he took the initiative. And he sent his son. And his son changed everything. And his call to you today is, hey, I changed everything. Let me change this too. Rely on his strength. Step into those places, not on your own strength, by his spirit. I'm going to pray again and ask the band to come up. Heavenly Father, what you call us to is something you've already done. But it's intimidating, and it hurts, and we need you. We do not have the strength to love our enemies as you've called us to without you.
we do not have hearts soft enough to forgive unless you make them soft. We do not have courage enough to be the one to act until you make us strong and courageous. And so I pray that you would stir your spirit here, that you would give us more power to walk in your name. Grace Church would be salty and shiny in this valley. That your gospel would go forth here. And that the lost and the broken in this room and in this town and in this place would find wholeness and healing and peace in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would whisper to our hearts right now and show us where you would have us to step in peace. God, we need you. And we need you for this. And we thank you. We thank you in advance because you know how to give good gifts. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for us. And we entrust ourselves to you. In your mighty name, amen.